We wanted the Apocalypse fam back, but not like this. <laughs> what are you doing? I don't know. Some craziness. That annihilation is going all up inside your brains. Oh, dear. Welcome to the X-Wife Podcast. I'm Alicia. And I'm scared. Also known as? Justin. I'm Justin. I'm you Justin. know that. You know that. But what if someone's brandy new and they didn't know? Well, then it's in the credits. It's like a little search and find for your podcast journey. Oh, man. As you look around, you find your clues, you get the rundown, and you find out, hey, what are we talking about today on the podcast? We're talking about four comics. One digi, three tangies. Our digi is X-Men Unlimited, number 93. And our tangies are Storm, number two, Deadpool, number eight, and... The Heralds of Apocalypse number one. But first, the news. The news. You snooze, you news. <laughs> it's a slow news day. Oh, is that why you said that? Yeah, that's right. that's uh, my my lead. I just thought of it. That's <laughs> what we were doing. It. To me. I, you know, got to celebrate those moments of brilliance as they occur. <laughs> yeah, no, that's an appropriate response. It really wasn't brilliance. Moment. Just brilliant. Just the fun. Hey, I was flipping through the previews book, so a new previews book with the solicitations and covers for September. Oh. And two remind or one reminder and one visual interest. Oh, interest. Un- Uncanny Spider Man. Right. Nightcrawler, aka Spider Man. First preview of some interior art i mean we have seen some leak i have seen some leak online not oh. leak but be promoted and but this is like a finalized in color using the soul hope sword the hope blade whatever it is the thing that came from him the thing that came from inside him i don't know this is like a level up for nightcrawler i i'm excited i'm interested i know you are i, I love spider-man so whatever what else what else is the Intrigue. Cy Spurrier and Lee Garbett launch a joyful, sexy series that will shake Nightcrawler to his foundations. Oh man! Joyful, sexy series. (laughs) I wish I wish I didn't read that. What is that? That is a variant cover. The the light up on her face, y'all. That is a variant cover of Uncanny Avengers number two with Savage Land Rogue on the cover for some reason. Yeah, I don't care why. I like it. Ryan Stegman, the artist on that. The the revelation. Was the <laughs> fact that there is still a classified four-issue miniseries. Issue two with no descriptor, no cover, no solicitation text. Just, hey, you're going to buy it because it's Fall of X and we're going to launch more info in Wait, July. Wait, hold on. There's a whole other title that's classified? Yes. That's big news, people. Any bets? Any thoughts? No. I got one. Okay. Miss Marvel. Yeah. When she is resurrected. Okay. And how is that story then going to... Because, I mean, we're all over the Marvel Universe. We got Spider-Man. Even though it's Nightcrawler, Spider-Man still is in it, at mm-hmm. least in the first issue. We've got Iron Man. We've got Uncanny Avengers. Alpha Flight. Alpha Flight. I mean, they're, they're mutants, but still. Well, actually, no. The right. Half and half. 50-50. Well, that's just bananas. Al Ewing interviewed on Marvel. 
Uh, great insight into his choices, the philosophies behind these characters, and the impending Genesis War. Dun, dun, dun. You, you have called me out previously. I don't always read the full interviews sometimes. Sometimes I just skim it. Sometimes I just get the highlights for the news. I sat and I read this interview because... Oh, every single word. Al will do that to you, right? Mm-hmm. Just He is the maestro of space and space. complex plots and he's you know in, in this preview alone he's got two other titles immortal thor and avengers inc wow look at that man is all over the marvel universe there's another article about agatha harkness's newfound youth explained which we don't need we read along in the Indeed, strange academy lead did. up into midnight suns and saw that transformation occur but if you are curious as to what's going on in scarlet witch there's an article for you to check out any personal news that you'd like to share with the class? I thought a lot about personal news this week. Um, I really can't think of anything other than the overshadowing news that I received about my hip, uh, which is that I have a tear in my labrum and I'm going to have to have surgery. And that's really... The biggest thing on my brain. So uh, that's my personal news. I'm yeah. struggling with that a little bit. It's uh, it's going to be an interesting year of maybe maybe up to a year before I'm back to dancing. So who knows? Maybe that makes space for more comic reading or more cosplay creating or more Harry Potter Hogwarts legacy playing or <laughs> bright sides for days. Just yeah. you'll find something on the other side. Trying to find the bright sides. Yeah. But that's honestly truly the biggest thing on my brain this week. Uh so you know, I'll keep you all in the loop as I know what's happening, but right now I have to wait till the end of July to meet with a surgeon and then uh we go from there. Well my mine felt trivial in the <laughs> In the light of, so I'll give you, I'll give you a, a Justin's health update. I've been doing physical therapy for just over a week now because I hurt my back. Uh, Captain Two Michael asked, he was like, "Is it because you're old or because you injured yourself?" <laughs> and and yes, I understand the joke and I laughed along with it. It's a mixture of the two. Uh, and Michael was very clear to be like, "I'm not calling you old. I'm just busting on you." you know? Yeah, like, yeah, just just Joshin. But just Justin. <laughs> But I, I have felt some immediate relief and positivity from physical therapy. So, and, and it was also just a part of a conversation I've been having with other folks as I share this journey. Physical health is important and mm-hmm. is often overlooked. And how you take care of your body is not really shared, like, like how you should take care of your body. The things that you could have learned in gym class instead of playing dodgeball. Right. Like, how do I... What? I know. It's really interesting to think about it in terms of, like, physical health versus physical fitness, right? Like, you don't have to be any... Look any certain way to be physically healthy. You just have to learn how to... How body mechanics work and, like, things you should... Ways you should be... How you sit down. How you pick something up. What's popping that shouldn't be popping? Right. You know, what's, what's clicking that's a bad thing, but you deal with it because it's just been happening. Right. And I, I mowed the lawn. That was the first thing that, that popped in my head. That, I mean, it's like one of the first times that the lawn has been mowed since we moved in a while ago, a couple yep. months ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the lawn was very tall. We don't want to be those people. But at the same time, I don't want to be that guy out there mowing the lawn all the time. Well, you know, 
but it was kind of satisfying to see the difference to see really to tall grass right and now i walk around the grass barefoot without like well i mean i do that anyway so not me i hate the grass on my feet oh i love it that's a weird bit of personal news hey we have a poll it's different i changed it ha 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 what what was i really gonna, what was i really gonna put deadpool against heralds of apocalypse deadpool isn't even a Krakoan book it says it's a Krakoan book oh, and it's a liar it's a liar now. interesting okay so what's the poll mvp character of the week Oh, shoot. Four options. Okay. Apocalypse, mm-hmm. Genesis, Deadpool, and Storm. MVP character of the week, Apocalypse. By how many percentages? Mm-hmm. 57. 52. Okay. Not bad. Not bad. Who got second? Who got second? Storm. Yes, she did. <laughs> Which, I don't know. I was I was talking with Warline. It, it was more surprising that that many people are reading the Storm miniseries. I think people just choose Storm. I said that too. I was <laughs> like, I think it's just people like Storm. So right. they clicked on Storm. Yeah. But, you know, we'll see. Third would be Genesis. Yep. Fourth is Deadpool. Sorry, Wade. But now it's time to get into... No, wait. We have, wait. One, we have one general wait. question. Okay. And we actually have some insight into... Grab that. Uh, into this question, and I think we were also going to talk about what it is that it's asking. So Captain Two Michael would like to hear about, discuss some of the the things heading into the gala, some oh. of our our seeds of Orcus, some as of we've the been seeds of Orcus. we've been calling it. So we have we have a list. We did this on Patreon what Couple three weeks, weeks ago. ago or so. Yes, and we have since added to it after that X Men Red reveal, as Mariana is orchestrating this war. But yeah. yeah, do you want to just run down what we have on that list? Like the big picture <laughs> yeah, items? Yeah, yeah. So big picture, we've got, there's there's the media situation. So we have news anchors spreading information about what's happening with mutants. They're, they're knowledgeable about what's going on with Nature Girl. So they're exploiting that. We've got the watchdogs also being influenced by the media who are hyped up about anti-mutant propaganda. We've got Judas Traveler. We've got the Heritage Initiative. Um, all of that kind of came out of Mutant First Strike and War College. Uh, we've got the Blightswill. We've got Moira up in Orcus's, you know. Intelligence. Situation. Uh, they know the layout of Krakoa and its underground workings. They have knowledge that Sabretooth is out in the world, so that's another thing that they can use against the mutants. Um, Fenris is in the pit, yeah. so that is not, good. not great. Stasis and Modoc, we've got the medicine bombs, so we've got people who are literally ticking time bombs because they're they, they on Krakoan medicine that has been altered. With Modoc's anger-inducing genetics that he was working on when he appeared in x-men we've got this x gene cure and mutant experiments that are being done so who knows what kind of armies or monsters are being created we've got the stark sentinels we have the whole situation with opal and horticulture and them connecting with omega sentinel We've got, uh, tying into the propaganda and the media, we've got this information about the Stark Sentinels being destroyed by mutants for no reason, even though the Stark Sentinels are actually attacking. Yeah, that that opinion letter, that open message from Dr. Stasis that was published. Yes, we've got Nimrod. Who's just Nimrod. Let's just call that what it is. We've got the Wolverine Sentinels, Phalong's up in the mix, 
and and into all of Stark Industries. We're wondering, like, aside from talking to Opal, what's Omega Sentinel up to? She's been quietly she's in the been, background for a while. She's been quiet, but we saw her and Stasis dancing their way into the Hellfire Waltzing. Gala. We're questioning if we can really trust that Kingpin is on Krakoa and... And, For positive you know, reasons. <laughs> what is he doing there? That's just kind of a red flag. We know that Orcus knows about gates. They can access the gates. They they will be acquire, acquiring the Captain Krakoa suit, which we Someone saw be, in yeah. the, the preview. We, we've got Ruben and Kavanakaba and Magic all on the side of Orcus. Morgan Le Fay might. May or may not be. She's been relatively pacified. Right. This was before the end of BBCB. And that has since seemingly taken her off the table. But we have Mariana Stern. We we question Celine's loyalties and where exactly she, you know, what she's got going on. Uh, Orcus has Phobos. Sure. And a space station. They're, They're harvesting mutant power with their X gene experiments and then we've also got tiny robots inside magic oh yeah right right. so and mother righteous and mother righteous she's up at the top uh because she's questionable you know how she ties in how does she tie in but if thinking about you know is it the stuff that's going in through orcus she does have some connections to orcus and especially in uh an issue where she's meeting with stasis the next and final Fall or before the fall one shot. Yeah, there's a there's a lot. Orcus has their hands in a lot of different things. They're they got a lot of seeds that could just pop up. Yeah, there was one other one that just escaped my mind. That's not on the list. That as you were saying stuff, I thought of yeah, and I don't know if it was something specific. I mean, it's Genesis and the Genesis War, but that is through Mariana Stern right. and Kavanakaba. There's, there's basically anything that could go wrong is about to go wrong, yeah. and there's going to be destruction left and right. So uh, editor's notes for all of those. Uh, <laughs> Destiny of X, I guess. You know? Yeah. Or whatever. Apparently, we're no longer calling it Destiny of X after AXE, or I don't know. Someone said that. We'll see. I don't know anything. They don't do the, uh, the ARC trades anymore, well, not that I've been able to find. That's upsetting. Right. You ready to talk comics? Yeah, let's talk about him. Let's We're start with talk that about, digi. Give me that baby. Yeah, so we've got X-Men Unlimited number 93. We're continuing on with our Madrox family Fantastic Four hangout. Blastar and um, Captain Madrox. Yeah, people from space have come in, and it seems that where we last left our Madrox strong guy story, where we had some dupes who needed to do time for their crimes in space... One of them has escaped and broken some other space criminals out and wants the child. Right. Well, it's interesting to think how dupes are copies of Mm -hmm. Jamie, right? So what type of familial connections do they have to Layla? Do they have to... Davy, the baby, right, right? right? What are they? He seems to feel as though this is his child, which right. is it? Uh, arguable, I don't right? Know. He's not the prime, but he's been separated from and, and seemingly can't be recalled. I, I and don't he know. Also ha- well, it's, I think it's like Jamie was saying something about like, oh, I the have negativity. to like feel all the bad things if I recall him, but also seemed like he was creating more dupes. And I was like, can you do that if you're not the prime? Yes. Any dupe can create more dupes oh, if terrifying. they're hit on impact. Oh, gosh. Yes. Right. 
Not good. Right. And and it it's an interesting conversation about how Jimmy creates the dupes, right? Mm-hmm. And it seems as though when the Prime does, and I'd assume also when any dupes create dupes, is that it's almost a subdivision of those personalities within that right. source, right? So when you have the Prime, you have the full complement of potential personalities, traits, feelings, emotions driving these individual characters. But then if you take Captain Madrox as the start and he's creating his own army of dupes from that. They're going to be more conniving, right. more up to no good, up to and loyal to him right. and not to Jamie Prime. Because they don't know who is this guy. He's not we the don't prime. Know him. I don't know that guy. And it also highlights the fact that Jamie let this dupe face persecution face justice with the Shi'ar right. and what was happening out in space after that, likely not a good thing knowing that it could come back and bite you. But I, I really do enjoy this story. I definitely liked this issue more than the first issue. And I think it's really interesting. I mean, Reed is just giving off the worst energy as he does. Just, oh, what like... Why would anyone be threatening you? And like, can you actually handle this situation? He's very mean. Um, he's condescending. He's, yeah. he's the smartest guy in the universe. And Ugh. he doesn't have time for the... What? <laughs> like, Yes, science is the villain in X-Men comics as of the moment. And he toes that line. But rightfully so, especially with his previous dealings with... A, it's funny, I was slipping through last year's Hellfire Gala and the conversation between Reed and Tony at the gala about Charles and Eric coming to Reed and taking something from his mind, taking the ability to mask the gene, the X gene from him and, and being very outright about it being like, yeah, we're doing this and we're not hiding it. Right. And that interesting to see that a year later doesn't really seem to have played anywhere for Tony Unless he's using this as a way to get in closer to find out more. Well, we'll find out. But the baby has been taken. And now the Fantastic Four, Strong Guy and Madrox and his uh, wife are going to team up and get the baby back. Give me that baby. Writer and artist Jason Liu, colorist Antonio Fabella, letters Travis Lanham. PC's Travis Lanham. I just want the title of this to be Give Me That Baby. Yeah, but I don't think that's what it's No, it's, it's definitely be. not. It's definitely not. Yeah, I mean, just this issue. <laughs> Give me that Maybe baby. next issue. You ready to talk about Storm? Sure, sure. So we're going, we're going high level on Storm. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, in general, we got a handful of questions and it's a light week, right? We didn't get any questions for Deadpool or Storm the they're not really questions for storm they're more like what's the point of this (laughs) (laughs) statement understandable confusion of just what's going on with this what's up with this guy it's interesting because i actually liked this issue so much more than i liked the first issue because i felt like the first issue had so many viewpoints and so many stories and so many things happening and had to tee it all up right this issue was like this is what's happening at the mansion in the danger room this is what's happening with Storm, and this is how these two things kind of converge together. Because so, the stories do connect in some way. Yeah. Looking at you, War College. Chaotic. Yeah. Okay. It was just too chaotic in the first issue. Um, but this cover, I think this cover is great. I love it. Yeah. The high um, energy, erratic powers all over the place. Yeah. You want to give us our, I'll, I guess I'll give it a, a ceremonial teeny tiny page turn noise. <laughs> Storm. Blowback. 
part two, Punked, written by Anne Nascenti, art by Sid Catan, colors Andrew Dollhouse, letters Ariana Maher, VCs Ariana Maher, Alan Davis, and Alejandro Sanchez on the cover. So Storm is fighting this, I don't know, like- A demon of sorts? Demon of her bad- bad choices or I, I don't know i i don't think that it's a construct of storms you know i don't think that it's uh, like a dark mirror of storm it seems to be some external influence you know i still suspicious of this travis guy who oh, yeah. arcs the rest of the issue i don't know if it's him anymore because it almost feels on the nose that that's really trying to say hey he's shady he's bad he's doing stuff i don't know mm. is that misdirection but they're fighting and Aurora's powers are causing fire. Right. This basically her powers are going haywire. She can't call them when she wants. She can't control them. Her lightning is letting, letting things on fire. And it's not looking good for her I, as far as control of her powers goes. This training session in the danger room is probably some of my favorite two pages in oh, yeah. the issue. And just it's the attitude of Rogue and just how yeah, ridiculous. I don't pull my punches. Right. And, and so she... Is fresh on the team, right? Mm-hmm. Very recently joined at this point and does not seem to know the rules to play by. And this is totally her attitude at this time. And she knows she's also not too long into having these jacked up powers right. from Miss Marvel, right? So we're in the danger room. Storm's not there. So Wolverine's kind of being, you know, the leader for the moment. And I just really like at the end. When he's like, Colossus, great work. Rogue, total, total fail. fail. You don't know what you're doing. This next couple of pages section, this is the whole storm is here somehow. Her bike is here somehow at Travis's boathouse. And then they have this romantic well, rendezvous. She was on her way, right, to meet him when she encountered this villain in the last issue. And now she like what plunges she? into the... Yeah, that was her plan. She was going to meet him and then she got distracted by this guy or this person that she was fighting. So then she she falls in the water at the end of this fight. She washes ashore and Travis is like, oh, well, I saw your bike. I took it. You know, let's let's. It's be- just a lot of... It's a lot of coincidence. Well, yeah, but... It's, it's suspicious. It's like, hey, you washed up also randomly at the boathouse that you maybe knew the address of... And your bike was there, and I took it, and it's, you know. Yeah, of course. It's suspect. And then they're going to have mushy, mushy romance times, and they're going to talk about how they're both just lost in the world, and they're so perfect for each other. And, hey, wouldn't you want to come with me to this, this, well, Storm gives a little, like, hey, I used to be a thief, but now I'm not. Yeah. But I'm still haunted by my past. And... He's like, okay, you want to come to a party with me? Yeah. You want to come to a little convention situation? You want to wear a dress for me? Do the X-Men get fancy? Oh, you know it. Can you bring them along? Okay, sure. Can we? Oh, my God. It's the same. I, I like Sid's artwork, but it's this big head. It's this giant. Like, like Xavier's <laughs> heads are out of control as we're back in the mansion and Kitty's grounded. Yeah. By Xavier's big dumb head. <laughs> Kitty is grounded, and but she's doing some research because she does not trust, just like you. Nobody should. She does not trust Travis. Oh, these ugly mermaid tattoos. Oh, they're terrible. And she wants to do some research into his business partner, and Xavier's like, enough. Cut it out. You're grounded. Stop doing research. Let us handle it. Simone, You're a child. Simone Crane 
is mm. the name that Kitty is able to find. Someone that she asks Rogue to, hey, you know, maybe do a, a drive-by. Just give her a little touch. Which is a dangerous request. It's interesting, too, because Rogue is like, oh, that's a dangerous thing to do. But then a few pages later, she's slowly starting to take her She's ready to do it, right? As she's speaking to Simone at this event, and Storm kind of pulls Calls her, her out. away. And right. says, okay, Rogue, none of that. Because she is like she is Rogue. She goes Rogue. She, does, she says that in the issue. She does what she thinks is necessary, and maybe at that point she's been considering it and thinks, yeah, no, no, we do need to know a little bit about this person. This yes. person that we later find out... Oh, we know already. But we'll get there in a second after nobody likes Travis. Everybody oh, is just... Oh, excuse me. Nightcrawler likes him. Yeah, he likes the fact that he knows a little German, but it's it, it, it seems like the team talked about how beforehand they were just like, yeah, we're we're trying to shake this guy down and, yeah. and poke See out all the flaws. Up. See what's up with him. And Wolverine's like, I don't like him. Got a bad smell about him. But wait, there is a little lad following... Simone. Simone around. Wait, no, it's not a little lad. It's Kitty. Wait, no, it's not Simone. It's Mystique. A little lad. <laughs> well, she, <laughs> she says... You boy, <laughs> why are you following me? Ooh, and then Kitty sticks her fingers In- inside Mystique's head. And she's like, basically like, tell me your secrets or I'll crush your brain. I'm interested to know how that, that would affect kitty's hands mm. right if if she solidifies in mystique's skull right would that break her fingers wow. i assume i don't know i don't think that she has thought this through with her cornrows and her Ugh. mermaid tattoos she's just not in a good place right now she's in the 80s and this is where she was this is this is a truth that you need to deal with about your girl that she had cornrows she made terrible decisions she's not well yeah terrible fashionable decisions she's making a lot of terrible decisions right now but mystique is like listen Travis doesn't know anything. He's just a pawn in my game. Let if me you, crush him. If you want Storm back, just let me crush him. Just let me do it. But he's about to get crushed by Logan in the bathroom who comes in hot. I mean, like this is poor word choice on Travis's part, sure. Like, I own her heart. Right. Weird. And she owns mine. Own her? Like, Wolverine just loses it yeah, at the set of this. Yeah, you don't own her. Right. And they're fighting in the bathroom as Storm comes in and cracks Wolverine on the skull. Oh I mean, gosh, to say so nothing mad. about the fact that he has an adamantium lace skeleton and this would likely break Storm's hand regardless of how much of a baddie she is. She doesn't care. And she's also so in love, apparently, with Travis that she's just going to take off her X-Men belts and she's going to say, you know Resign? what, Wolverine? You want to lead the team? Here you go. Here's my belt. I'm out. Me and Travis, we got somewhere to be. This, Which is, I mean wildly surprising and and yes. just feels a little that was some of my feelings is that storm feels out of character it feels like i don't know is someone manipulating her is she to fall like this for this random guy in this way that she's willing to turn her back on her family i just i didn't it didn't feel genuine well i think in this situation when you're a person who is feeling lost and confused and out of touch with yourself and 
you're having a heart, like she's losing her power. She's not understanding what's going on with her. And she's made this change in her appearance and she was met with resistance by the people that she loves that it makes sense that the first person who's going to show her acceptance and affection is something that she's going to latch onto because she's in this state of denial uncertainty of yeah. and and she feels lost and so she's finding validation in Travis. Well, that's and, not good and I'm worried about my girl. Oh, for sure, but you know where it's going to go because it's my just girl. an insight. <laughs> yeah, how dare you? You get to say Kate's your girl, Emma's your girl, Magic's your girl. I, I asked for one. Okay, you know what? One of my favorite characters. That's you can't. It. You can't do what you just did because you said my girl, and then you questioned yourself and said my girl, and fake punched in the air, and then I agree to that, and now you're gonna call <laughs> me out on say I'm calling you out. You called yourself out first. Play the tape. It just the part that sticks out is just how storm's acting and i like what you're saying that that kind of plays from her loss of identity loss mm -hmm. of self or everything's kind of mixed and mashed i just i'm questioning who this travis guy is where yukio is because they just had some off-panel romance of mm -hmm. some kind that created this new persona for storm and uh, i don't know travis tech bro get out of here i i love rogue in this i just oh yeah she's amazing she's feisty she's powerful she's anti-establishment let's go more <laughs> of that next miniseries is rogue just being crazy i'm here for that even colossus and wolverine they feel very on point for this time in publication their characterizations that's great so then you know that the writer oh, like yeah has a plan for storm sure right? something is gonna happen and and the thing about like you know you were saying the generalized thought is like, what is the point of this whole story? Well, we know we know it's an insert into a timeline that already exists. So there isn't much of a point other than to give you a fun story. Like there's not going to be some dramatic revelation here that changes continuity, I don't think. so. Right, it's the problem or the concept with any Legends-based story, continuity, back-in-time story is that it's, it's character exploration. And it's likely not going to impact things. Yeah, we're getting a little insight into Storm's difficulty reconciling with her new self. And she's she's sought validation in this guy that nobody likes. And yeah. sometimes that happens. And then you have to learn that this guy's a dummy. And then you go back to figuring it out with your friends. Blonde China, wondering what's the point of this Storm mini eye roll? These minis being put out have been mediocre, to be honest. And... I mean, it's what we're talking about. The point really is an alternative to Krakoa. It's for fans that are not interested in Krakoa that haven't been enjoying it and they want something more resonant with the classics. They want a story that is the X-Men that they grew up reading. And mm -hmm. that's it's really, it's fan service to that. And it's giving you another option. To your point, I don't think that anything is ever going to be this big development unless it's continuing to play in that past continuity, right? So Claremont picking up the seed from his Gambit story and bringing that into the relationship in the Extreme X-Men story. Yeah. I think you're going to get something similar in the Days of Future Past prelude that we're getting from Mark Guggenheim soon and again, with the Magneto miniseries, like it's all just going to be character exploration for these points in time. Not really a whole lot of impact on the Krakoa. Right. 
Curls also following up. Don't want to yuck anybody's yum, but what the heck is this storm story? Question mark, question mark. Ah, uh, the yuck, the yum phrase. I say that all the time. Alicia hates it. I really don't like it, but it's okay. I don't know. what What is up with it? It's just, it's just. I think this issue was better than the first issue, and I think it's just a it's just a fun little jaunt into the past. It's not same with meant uh, to be life changing. Same with X twenty three, right? Deadly Regenesis, right? It's just hey, what was this character doing at this time? Right. Do we even do we do we go high level with Deadpool too? Or not? I mean, dead Deadpool, Deadpool. What's Deadpool. happening here? I don't think this is a story that needs to be dug into too much. Uh, it's pretty. I enjoyed the issue. I'm not going to say. Oh yeah, for uh, that sure. I didn't. It was it was good, and especially if you've been following the story with the atelier, this builds from that. I said in the comic shop, this is probably some kind of some kind of alternate reality or some kind of messing with Deadpool. The fact that he looks like his normal human self on the cover on the cover. And I had read the couple of preview pages, which mm-hmm. are these first couple pages of the fabulous five, which what? Yeah. <laughs> so hilarious, ridiculous. And I love it. Let's dig in. Shall we page turn noise? Hey, you got a kid. You should be taking care of her. Data page from cable. Love cable. Love you bestie. We're starting out. It's the morning. Wake up, Dad. We got pancakes. You and the rest of the Fabulous Five are going to have a great pancake breakfast together. Deadpool is highly confused as to why he he looks this way. As he should be because not only does he look different, but Spider-Man, Cable, Wolverine, Domino, all hanging out in the kitchen ready to have a family breakfast. Bringing us to a title page. Yo, Aster and Acladon are on deck. Will they knock it out of the park? Read on. Under the Skin, written by Alyssa Wong, art by Luigi Zagaria, colors Matt Mella, letters Josephino. This is Josephino. Martin Coccolo and Niraj Menon on the cover. So we have this like breakfast moment where Deadpool is both trying to enjoy breakfast his wildest his, dreams come true his daughter with him and and his, his friends hanging out and also being like something isn't right i'm why is this the way it is he has the, this moment of like i see princess in the pancakes yeah the, the, kind of triggered to princess when the mention of that name is said and then even just fighting to see valentine and princess in his memory as he's sitting around the table like this is not my life currently as right. as fun as it is as great as this is where is valentine yes wade where is valentine dun 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 which is a dead giveaway right you don't know valentine how are you even asking that question right flip the table and then all of the friends start to attack deadpool right oh this descended jaw from domino the big gun out of nowhere from cable <laughs> i love the domino we haven't eaten each other's faces in years yeah <laughs> not in front of my kid but domino is exploded and deadpool is take trying to take them out one by one but is sort of thwarted by quote unquote spider-man fake spider-man fake spider-man whipped down i love this <laughs> i pitched you this idea the last time we hung out and you told me no. Right. <laughs> this is, Deadpool is obsessed with Spider-Man. I love it. Yeah. And and Deadpool is also, you know, I, we're recording this on the last day of Pride. He is pansexual. 
he loves everyone. He loves them all. And <laughs> he is he's stuck to the ground by these fake spider webs and then realizes as he's peeling the webbing off that he's wearing fake skin. Wow, I'm regular. He's I, like, look at my beautiful, terrible skin under there. He misses himself, his real, what he has grown to know and love. He is accepted as who he is. And, you know, fake Spider-Man is pretty upset because do you know how hard it is to make fake skin? Nope. It's well, kind of, but I don't do it right like you do. The fight with Wolverine mm-hmm. as Deadpool fools whoever this person is pretending to be Wolverine, thinking, oh, yeah, yeah, you stabbed me. And ah, just kidding. Pop you in the face. I will shoot you now. Again, not imitating the adamantium skeleton because what did that bullet do? A, well, this is a fake Wolverine. Right. Doesn't actually not imitating, have right. adamantium. And then Cable shows up or pops around the corner with... A hostage. Ellie. Dun, dun, dun. Don't worry, though. Valentine stabbing through the back of Cable from behind and revealing the fact that we are in this destroyed apartment. It's all good. Initially, I was like, how do we know that this is actually Valentine? Right. But Wade is revealed to be his true self. Valentine gives him a little smooch. And... Princess seems to be scaring Ellie as Deadpool pulls a fast one on whoever this actually is and not his daughter with salt on her after realizing that she can't keep up with the details. She doesn't know. She doesn't know all the facts. The fact that her mom is dead. Right. Biting into his shoulder. She's revealed to be Aster, Aster, who is a fae, who can... Put you in a trance, so to speak, and make you see things that are not there. But she doesn't have as much control over Deadpool as she would like because he didn't eat the pancakes. Yes. But watch out, because knives are flying. I'll call down. I'll call, call down. Don't know. But they're here. They're here, and they're throwing knives. Are they telekinetic? I believe so. And they want not Deadpool, not Valentine. Princess. But princess. I mean, they probably want Valentine at some point, but at this at this stage, they seem dead on the floor and not really of concern. Right. Oh, don't worry. I heal from everything. Not today, you don't, Jerko. What's happening? Yeah, something that was made for your body specifically from the information Valentine gathered against you. you Valentine did what? Yeah, right. And uh, another... another friend joins us the sleeping miss ginkgo coming in and transporting princess away wrapping princess in this like leaf ball that then shrinks down and you know they have a little loving embrace and take their prize and leave and valentine is not dead no and they have the antidote right they're able to deadpool they're able to cook it up quick and stab it into wade's wrist as they seem to almost pass out, both and both bloodied. We get our, you know, profiles data page that tells us what we need to know about Aster and sort of leaves this missing bubble about Valentine. Are they or are they not dead? We don't know. Heart to heart. Deadpool number nine. Next. I mean, I predicted what was going on. I'm glad that that was right. And it makes sense because we're getting thrown another duo of Mm Ateliers. I enjoyed it. Yeah, I did too. 
the strength of the Atelier is still being tested and they're bringing out the big guns and I, I don't want them all to die. Right? Yeah, I think I that's, know. what, three or four? Or I don't know how many. Last Bite and Ravona died Yep. last issue. And then... Aster died this issue. Didn't look great for her, them, you know, that, that falling apart with salt. Yeah. Which I didn't know. Good to know. Keep that in my back pocket. Your thoughts? What did you think? I thought it was fun. The way a Deadpool comic is fun. It has still no relevance to Krakoa. Never will. But I am enjoying it like i it's a good read it's a fast read and it's entertaining the atelier are fun i have no complaints i do okay well i wanted it to tie into krakoa maybe later we i've given up on that we've said that for what eight issues now i'll say it until it's over it's not it's its own thing and it's a lie (laughs) but it's fine Easily the book of the week. Apocalypse. Yeah. I mean, you got nothing else to compete against it. Yeah. I'm hoping that this conversation can change my mind because I don't understand what the point of this book was. Interesting. I feel very much that it was like the only real takeaway that I got from this book is that Apocalypse really deep down wanted peace and Genesis didn't. I mean, it is a character study essentially. We do get a lot of information about them, their family, their history together. And I mean, I'd say it's the most relevant of these before the fall one shots thus far. Okay. Comparing back to Sons of X and, well, Mutant First Strike was pretty relevant to building something for Orcus. I felt like Mutant First Strike actually felt like it was setting up something in Fall of X. This felt like more information just on... Like the Apocalypse family tree. Which I don't know. You didn't enjoy that? I feel like that's a big amount of... The amount of information that we got on this family was huge in in their motivations, their backstory, the relationship that developed throughout all of these different points. I felt it hard to keep track of what time point I was in. Like the flashing back to the beginning of their relationship, to what's happening now, to sort of the in-between of the beginning of their relationship or the beginning of the birth of their children. Like it seemed like there were three or four different points in time that we were talking about and I found it difficult to keep track of where in time I was. And I think there was like some Ten of Swords information tie-in that... I don't really, I mean, I read all of Ten of Swords in like a blur of reading 55 issues as fast as I could. And I don't have a lot of that knowledge that really stuck in my brain. So. Oh, is it time to revisit Ten of Swords? Because this is. I'm not interested in that. Okay. Well, we never did an episode about it. So it's on the table. People have asked about it. Okay. Well, I just felt like uh, a lot of me reading this book was reading information and it's sort of falling out of my mind and being like okay what was important about that i'm not really sure so all right i might be the only person in the world who feels that way and that's totally fine. no you're not but let's talk about the cover let's talk about the cover it's beautiful it it's is. great it's pepe Larraz. it's marte gracia it's the fam the variant from lionel francis you also really beautiful if you've seen it if you have it it's great <laughs> let's dig in shall we Page turn noise. My new favorite image of Apocalypse, meditating over the bones and dead bodies of 
Amenthe demons. Mm-hmm. And we, we start with revelations of strength, this conversation between Apocalypse and an Amenthe demon. What is strength? What is the thing that I should be working towards? And we get a lot of information about the change that Apocalypse has gone through, some pacification that kind of seeded and started in his Krakoan starts, the start mm-hmm. of that story, and then through Ten of Swords, the fact that he was only trying to get mutants strong enough to be able to defend Paradise. And then right. once you reach Paradise, do you need to be this hardened weapon all the time? This was interesting to hear the the meaning for his new name and the, the reasons why. Right. Revelation, right? So this A, this unpronounceable symbol, the artist for... the. The genocidal maniac formerly known as Apocalypse, mm-hmm. akin to Prince's name change to a symbol. He's now Revelation. And the demon has no interest in any of the, you know, is it, what does it mean to be strong? It means to survive, but is survival enough? Is that moral? Is that driven by any purpose? Or is it just that you're there? And is that enough? Should you be doing something? Should you be creating survival for others should you know what what is the the purpose if that is the end of your your point it doesn't matter though what this what this little demon thinks because he's gonna get stabbed in the head sliced by the family sword that has been reforged by genesis don't change the subject buddy <laughs> strength is surrender to me oh yeah i know my heart knows this genesis yes What did you think about the Big A's kind of apocalyptic worldview, his his philosophy as he's kind of preaching on high here? I mean, I think it's interesting. I think it tracks with his Krakoan story and this idea that being the strongest and being the the one to survive doesn't mean that you do that by just going out and seeking war. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what is the most interesting in this book is that, you know... Apocalypse is recharacterization. You don't have to be a destroyer of worlds for no reason. You only have to be a destroyer of worlds if those worlds try to take away from you what you hold dear. But you don't need to go out. And interestingly, in like opposition to you know what's happening with beast is like you don't need to go and destroy perspective threats you only need to be strong enough to deal with the threats that come to you and then otherwise enjoy your life yeah a wise king never seeks out war but he must always be ready for it odin from thor (laughs) (laughs) but is this enough for genesis Ah, it doesn't seem like it no, she wants war. And this is what I'm confused about, too, about their relationship. Is like, throughout this whole book, he's saying, like, I can't do the things you want. Like, I can't go out and just murder people, destroy things. And she's saying, well, I can't just be peaceful like you want. But then they're like, but I love you. Well, it's because they have a relationship that is, it's, I, I saw a lot of comparisons to Krakoa and Arako, hmm. right? They had a foundation. They have this family they had been apart for a long time. You know, the longing of the heart, the fact that Apocalypse himself dreamt of being reunited with Genesis. Mm-hmm. But they've changed so much at their core because of this time apart and seemingly because of some influences beforehand. Genesis, as revealed later on, 
was always teetering towards this thirst for war, this need for survival and to become the strong. They disagree at this point, right? They, they do not want, Apocalypse does not want to support Genesis's plan to go and attack mutants of Earth, the, right. the Krakoans, the Iraqi, anything like that. And he's saying, I will resist your armies. I will resist the white sword and his hundred men. I will resist even the children. Like nothing can sway me. All right, well, so then let's let's sway each other because it's time for a sword fight as we see the sword splitting into two and fighting against each other. But first, a title page, War and Peace. Genesis and Revelations, written by Al Ewing, Art by Luca Pizzari, Stefano Landini, and Rafael Pimento. Colors, Ceci de la Cruz. Letters and production, Travis Lanham. VCs, Travis Lanham. Like I said, Pepe Larraz and Marte Gracia on the cover. So now we're going to a long time in the past. This is before the split. This is before the divide of Krakoa and Araco and Araco being sent to Amenth. And we have a, a gift some some swords and some history. This gift from Iska, forged by Blue, who we know is the White Sword, mm-hmm. and we also find out that his sword was forged by his mother, and is superior to this sword that he is now forged. But what is the use of swords in a time of peace? Because that's what Apocalypse wants. He, he, this is what he's been fighting for. Right, peace. Peace, peace. Quotations. It's not the natural condition, my husband. I am a living weapon, as are you, as are our children, as are every mutant on Okara. And in this conversation, death is born. Yeah, death is revealed and named. I love this this big panel, the, the view of Okara. The, some of the first times that we've actually seen it thriving, because we've really only seen it when the Twilight Sword comes from the ground and mm-hmm. splits it in, in twain. As we get a little insight onto the names and the proud papa of Apocalypse, this his thoughts on the names that Genesis has given the children and how they're no longer of concern. These are concepts lost to the past. What need do we have of famine when the land feeds us? What, Where is there pestilence when we're able to cure our people? Where is there war when when we are making swords to celebrate our society and what we've built. Right. It's interesting. It's almost like instead of a representation of these things, the children are like absorbing those things so that they're non-existent in society. Right. Right. And at this time of peace, are these things even here? Well, death is always there, waiting in the future, not forgotten in the past, ready to strike. As we get a little insight into... What's been going on in Genesis's mind, right? So this this tells you how she has had this separation from their joint philosophy. So something has been whispering in her mind, and we see the helm of annihilation on this top panel. Mm-hmm. And she's kept this secret. She's kept this to herself that in her dreams, she's been essentially coerced into this way of thinking. Paradise splitting in two, that these children are... Names inspired by the dreams she's had and 
They're named in this way, not in denial, but in recognition of what they must face, overcome, and then become. The fact that things are coming for them with this impending attack from annihilation, but they must be strong to survive. And then we get a new history book page. The New History of Morocco, Chapter 1. Okara! The fact that Annihilation sees this one land and is able to work their way across the divide and start to influence what will release them. The Purity Sword and the Twilight Sword. Things called out as these great weapons on either side. So now... We're back in the present day. Yes. But there's nothing on this page. There's no little, like, note at the top corner that tells you that we're back at the present day. Well, we left left them as they started a sword fight. I'm just saying it's jumping around time. And that's where I was getting confused of, like, I'm reading and then I'm like, okay, wait. Yeah, this is, this is the now, but what is the then? And, you know, it is what it is. You, you say you're confused, but you also acknowledge that what time well, it was. Because right now it's very clear, but on the next page after that, then she's putting Annihilation on her face and we're seeing the past again when she originally gets Annihilation and there's not, there's no artistic difference. Like generally when we're doing a time jump back and forth like that, there's like a color difference or something in the artwork to let you know that that is happening or there's a little note on the page. Mm. And as we go through these next couple of pages, we're going like these two pages of them sword fighting, we're in the present. And then the next two pages, we're in the past for a handful of pages. And then, but then when we get back to this fight, is that the, the present again? That's where I was getting it kind of jumbled in my brain. I do think that, and it is not as noticeable, I do think that each of these are different artists. That's why there are three artists on the book that the present battle, the sword fight framing device of their conversation is by one artist. The Okara history is by another artist. And the kind of in-between is by the third. But I don't know where one ends and one begins. It does also seem that so these points where we're jumping back, they're only teed up because we get a little narration box, which doesn't give you a full like, hey, yeah, this is happening. But we go back to details of what happened to Apocalypse at that time. The, the scream that he let out at the end of that little story before the data page, right? The, the red coloring that was all around him as he was about to kind of look at this, this scream of rage and despair, knowing that paradise was going to be lost, knowing that we would never have it back. So this panel of him protecting his children in his core, essentially, as he hammers away demons. This is back in the past. This is the initial attack. Blue right there holding his dead mother. His initial power coming online because of this grief, because of what's happening, to be able to raise his hundred soldiers here and now to know that they're... Uh, we haven't seen it yet, but there is a panel of, yeah, we have, we just saw it, uh, of Blue and John Ironfire sitting together on the side. Hmm, totally missed it, but I see it now. Great. And we're talking about the the battle, the war, what happened between them, what happened between the mutants and the Amenthi demons. How did that war end? We won, right? 
the enemy came to us, begging bowl in hand to parlay. So now we're in this flashback to the experience between the helm and this skeleton body that is controlling it and the mutants of Okara. The challenge is issued to the mutants of Okara, and this is taken by Genesis. No, these are mine. I will fight. I will display how awesome my power is, the the power over the earth, which is a really interesting divide between her and Storm's abilities that we're going to see soon, right? Mm-hmm. Earth versus the weather, the things around it. Mm-hmm. Like the physical earth versus the elements. Right. And we tee up some interesting hidden information. And I recall the Annihilation Helm making its offer to you and you alone, but not what it offered, nor your answer. You kept that to yourself. The knowledge might have broken you, husband, and then I needed you whole. But now, perhaps it's time for you to learn. And so we go back again to this conversation between Genesis and the Helm, this annihilation, this spirit that seems to exist and influence from the gold that it embodies. And tell me, Justin, what does it tell her? (laughs) Do you not know? I don't remember. Okay. So... I come to you with this offer as a friend, Genesis. A friend? You know, what do you mean? All Annihilation has provided in the form of war and challenge how it's been exactly what Genesis wanted. For her, for her people, for her family to be able to be the strong, to be able to be molded into these warrior god mutants. Mm -hmm. These Omega mutants that are now hardened by the need for war. But what was the cost, right? Well, it took out the weak. That's what you wanted. It brought up the strong. That's what you wanted. Now I will give you an option. I will seal the rift that I've created. I will stop my pursuit of the earth and all the people on it. If you ask, which I thought was a, the, the one panel at the top of the next page with the slightly closed eye of like, wait, what? So I feel like what I got out of this was that Annihilation was saying, you don't have to, to have this battle anymore, and but there's not going to be a winner or a loser. It's just going to be over. And Genesis was like, no, forget that. I want to win. Well, she's been driven by this desire to win, this desire that's been implanted in her by annihilation and the whispers into her Genesis's dreams. So the fact that she's being manipulated all along... And then is given this choice. Do you want to end the war and not be victorious and not have anything to show for these years, months, however long it's been of battle, of of things that have made you into the society that you've dreamt of these people becoming? And then Apocalypse is like, yo, we could have had peace and you decided against it. What the heck? Now you have unleashed Rage Apocalypse. That, and then she that stabs face, him. That face, peace. Well, yeah, right? You coming at me? I'll come at you. We were not made for peace. And you insult yourself by pretending anything else. Which I think in general is a stupid thing to say. You don't need to be in war. You're not made for war. You might be capable of being a great warrior, but you can have peace. She does not see that way. And I also just want to underscore the fact that she is being manipulated the entire time by this force that is just, hey, hey, I want more. I want to conquer more. 
I just feel like this is where I'm confused. If she's being manipulated by Annihilation to want more, then why is Annihilation offering her peace? Because she knows that she'll refuse it. The Helm knows that Genesis is not going to take that. And it's to basically seal the fate of these mutants. And now they're locked in an endless struggle. They're going to come closer. They're now going to cross over the path. This is what's now sealed Arako across the gate and zipped up the access to Earth and now brings Genesis herself even closer to Annihilation to be able to influence more directly. Okay. We have another history page. Chapter 23. We skipped a bunch of chapters. <laughs> yeah. What? <laughs> it's just funny. Forever cleaved in two, right? This is where I was really seeing the parallels between Arako and Krakoa against Genesis and Apocalypse and how what was divided that should have never been and now seems to be unable to come back to each other. Mm -hmm. the, the Genesis has experienced so much change over this time that, and, and to your point, is basically Apocalypse's point. War for the sake of war is not... A good thing that's not right. what we need but war to inspire change to inspire growth that's what i want that's the revelation to the people that to be the strong isn't to just survive it's to thrive to grow beyond that point to mm -hmm. to be a people that can then safeguard your future mutant civil war is definitely against everything that apocalypse wants this this one panel of Genesis with her hand on Apocalypse's shoulder and the blood everywhere. Oh, it's so beautiful. <laughs> Defeat. Like your way failed. You wanted growth and change. I saw that you failed. How did you see what failed? Okay, so now we're going back to Amenth. This is somewhere in between, right? So this is not current day, but as the summoners are surrendering to Genesis and Annihilation, why? The winds have changed. We've heard and gotten feeling that Tarn has died. You know, perhaps it would be different if Tarn lived. What? Tarn dies? <laughs> the fact that we have Tarn content, here for it. Great. Praise Tarn. Praise Tarn. Just this Tarn is dead reaction. Mm -hmm. We felt it. We know what's going on with the Locust Vile. The fact that they are continuing his work in the Spire Vile. That's dangerous and just interesting to hear. Mm -hmm. Tarn lives. His work lives on, on the world of Arako. The world of Arako? So that means that hey, we did the thing? We, we conquered Earth? No. <laughs> As Apocalypse knows because he's been watching on Magic TV. They couldn't come together, but they could be forced to change. The results of the Council now embracing new ideas, going to planet Arako, how this could have been mirrored in Genesis and Apocalypse's relationship, but... She wants to destroy all the things. She could have embraced some of this concept of like, okay, what is strength without purpose? How do we find a way to continue to thrive as a people but mean something as what we're gathering? This mutant civil war just splits our potential collaboration even right, further. Right, Now, right. what I'm confused about is, again, is so Mariana shows up and she's saying the apocalypse is lying, but yes. he's not. Well... Our people continue to be tested, is what he says. And that's what Mariana calls out as a lie. 
the test has been failed is what Mariana has to say. So she comes in and she says, hey, do you really think that this is being tested or, or thriving as a people to know that behold the death of history and the defilement of the once great ring, the end result of the contamination brought by your husband's chosen people? Behold, Uranus, this hour of Uranus is seen. Right. But that's not them not being tested. Like Uranus came and destroyed everything and then they put their civilization back together and moved forward. She's not sharing that point because she's manipulating. Right. But I'm just saying, she's saying Apocalypse is lying, but he's not lying. She's a villain, right? Right. right. I mean, he is lying in the sense that not a full truth is a lie. But she is also lying because she's orchestrating her own desires. But why is saying our people continue to be tested not a full truth? It's not the truth that Mariana is spinning. The truth that she's spinning is they were tested and they failed. They're now scattered across the stars and yes, they're trying to rebuild. But is that really what you want? Do you want to know that your people, your warrior tribe has been decimated by this one person? Right. And obviously she's a villain and she wants Genesis to go and to fight. I'm just bringing up the point that Apocalypse's way is working. Like Storm is taking back Arako and is forming it into a society of peaceful mutants that can move forward. So the only reason that Mariana appears is to mess with things. Is to rile. She's basically doing what Annihilation did. Right. You know, she's appearing across the void to rile up Genesis and the troops and have her cross that gate and, and now bring the war that was happening in Amenth now to the other side, continuing to divide the people against each other. Get death, get the Amenthi summoners, get the white sword. We're getting everybody and we're rolling out. What did you do while I was gone, Apocalypse? What have you been doing other than just waiting for me? You were hot stuff to Krakoans, but here you're just a scrub magician. Ooh, rough. That's what she's saying to him, though. It's a vicious read as the true Apocalypse, the aggressor, is revealed. And I come armed. <laughs> as With he actual arms. Additional arms coming out of his sides. And ready to fight. Ah, there you are. That's the guy I married. That's the the warrior apocalypse. But he's upset. You you have brought this out. You you confronted the beast, and yet still I yield. I will do this on my own terms. I will help you in a way, but I've got my back pocket plan. Mm-hmm. Okara seeds. One for you, one for me, and one for some blood. One thing I must ask to you, and I thought this was really interesting, right? And, and like kind of handhold. The one thing that I must ask as you continue forward is to go alone, to not bring the helm, the voice, the void that's still calling to her, the annihilation helm that we see, which is it in the sword? Is it in? Yeah. So kind yeah, of like in that in, face. In the sword. Because isn't that what happened during Ten of Swords? Right, right, right. I, I meant this image that we see in the center. Is that design actually in the face of the sword? Or is this the voice and spirit of Annihilation still speaking to Genesis's mind and continuing to manipulate her? That she feels that she needs this staff and is called by it. And she says, nah, 
not doing it without annihilation. Yeah. Sorry, Apocalypse. That's the whole reason I'm doing this. And that confirms to Apocalypse, this is the nail in the coffin, that this is not Genesis acting on her own accord. This is Genesis continuing to be manipulated by this force that drove us apart initially. Mm-hmm. As Apocalypse's secret plan is revealed. Is she gone? Because this was all a test to her to understand what are your motivations? Why are you doing what you're doing? Right. And she failed. She failed, right? And Apocalypse has his way in. We now have our ability to get Apocalypse here, but he needs to gather his forces. I'm building a team. Ooh, yeah. (laughs) The revelation never ends, but the issue does. Sinister Four, our final fall of acts. Did that that do anything for you? Did it sway you in any way? No. Not really. I mean, like, I... I understand a little bit more about the rift and I guess I see a little bit more that Genesis is being manipulated on multiple fronts by both Annihilation and by Mariana and Kavanakava and you know they're playing into this idea that she needs to be the winner and that you know war and death and destruction is the only way to get there and that Apocalypse sees things differently and that he wants to go about it differently and that he now knows that he has to do this without her. But I just feel like, for me, this issue did not feel as accessible as maybe it did to you. And I think it, it's this, it's, it gave me like similar feelings to like Way of X and like all of these things that like you're trying to get this message across, but you're doing it in this grand way with like a lot of, beautiful language and and you're throwing in these chapter these chapters from this history book that are like there's not they're not to the point there's a lot of like fluff it's in conceptual there. Right. right and it's like for me it wasn't as enjoyable i think like it's cool that apocalypse is going out on his own it's cool to know that these two are pitted against each other i like hearing this idea of the parallel between the two of them and like that they as an entity were okara and now they are Rocco and krakoa like in in uh like a metaphorical standpoint i think that that's interesting but i didn't enjoy this issue that much because it felt really heady to me and i don't know it's just that's fine yeah i'm here for the heady I enjoy that big philosophical and and even just the stuff that's not on the surface, right? This did take a little bit more parsing through to get the details of their different sides. I thought that this was a really great character story for these two main characters Mm -hmm. in this conflict that's coming forward. The fact that Genesis is going to be a big bad, hopefully one that continues and is not just dispatched through the Genesis war, because I feel like she's a really interesting character. And it also positions Apocalypse to have a really good end for his Krakoan story as he confronts the wife that he thought that he fought for in Ten of Swords. Yeah, it's definitely an interesting character arc for Apocalypse, for sure. I I really liked the art. I really thought that that was really beautiful. I thought this was just a really deep story that did character work beyond what I was expecting. Like really great additions to Genesis, her motivations and manipulations to Apocalypse and his evolving philosophies and their relationship and how mm-hmm. it mirrors the split of Okara. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I thought it was it was my favorite of the three, I think. No, not mine. That's fine. Even first strike is mine so yep. far. 
I just I felt like Mutant First Strike was almost hitting you over the head with it, with like, oh yeah, and we're doing this with this, and we're doing this with this, and everybody's being manipulated. And- but Mutant First Strike, so in these books before the fall, like Mutant First Strike felt like to me, it made me nervous, it made me anticipate the fall, it made me see the threats that were in front of me very clearly, reminded me of the threats, made me see how the outside worldview of Krakoa is affecting what's going to be happening. This felt like a deep dive into a history lesson that doesn't feel directly connected to the fall. It feels corrected, connected to the Genesis War, which is... A part of the fall. A part of the fall, but also going to happen afterwards, right? Like, I believe that the Genesis War is going to be the fall of X stories of X-Men Red. I think the thing about it is I want for Fall of X to have a little bit more of a streamlined thing like it feels like from my perspective fall of x should be about orcus and this is one of the most far-reaching like outstretched side stories of how orcus is connected to the fall it just feels like this in itself could be a whole separate individual story even without Kavanakaba's involvement like yeah Genesis's decision to retake what is lost. Right. And so it feels to me like it's too much. Hmm. Like it's too many cooks. We've already got this like whole thing with like all of Orcus and Stasis and Nimrod and Omega Sentinel and Moira. Like that's enough of a threat without this. This is its own story. Like wanting to take back Araka. Like it just feels like it's a it could be its own thing that doesn't have to be happening at the same time and I would probably enjoy it more it technically is its own thing it is only going to happen in X-Men Red I'd assume right it's just also happening at the same time and that that tie-in right so was this on the shelf as the potential to come back and they decided to bring it back while everything else was hitting the fan and you're saying that that wasn't necessary, right? I'm that, saying that, that that's too much at once and it dilutes what, for me, it's diluting what this is because this is not what my focus is on right now. This is not where my interest lies. My interest lies oh. in what's happening with Orcus. And I mean, it does, like I am interested in this story and I am interested in Genesis and Apocalypse, but as a reader, I'm looking for the through line of of this other thing. And if you were going to give me this as its own story, like how New Mutants doesn't have any specific tie, then... I would be enjoying this more, but the tiny little thread of Orcus being involved feels like that's too, that's just inflating what's already happening. Whereas if this was its own story that wasn't tied to this other thing, I feel like I could focus on it more. But trying to mush all of this in my brain together as part of the Orcus story feels like too much. And then I feel overwhelmed and then I'm like, I need to take a step back from this. Like, I can't enjoy this as much as I think I would if it was its own entity. All right. Well, on this, we are on opposite sides, wife. Here's your sword. (laughs) (laughs) And we fight. I guess you're Genesis then. I guess so. I'm Apocalypse. That's fine. No, I don't know. I want to be Apocalypse. (laughs) Too bad. You're Genesis. But everything's coming together and we're causing change. And, and you want more, more, more. And I'm like, that's enough for right no, now. No, I don't want more. I just want this. And this is a part of it. And they're they're outlining it as part of it. And it is definitely taking the lar- largest arc on its own. Right? Everything right. else is, at least 
at surface because we don't know how these other arcs are going to tease out. They right. are going off Krakoa. They are going in their own. The fact that Iceman's going to Antarctica. You know, this is essentially the the start of the separation of the narrative. That things are going to get a little bit more less cohesive. Everything is relative to each other and inspiring each other more. These mutants are going over here and doing something. These mutants are going over here and doing something. And this is in essence already doing that. Right. Warline Comics doesn't know which is worse. Genesis orchestrating wars for her own fun or the weird mutant magic thing that doesn't seem to make sense considering that Marvel magic laws and how it's never dependent on species but types of magic. Uh, so I think so. two things to kind of separate. Genesis orchestrating wars for her own fun and for the influence of Annihilation. Right? Mm-hmm. That's, she's being manipulated left and right. Right. And... I don't know if that's worse or it's just the narrative that Al is spinning up for this, right? The mutant magic, I'd agree that there is some kind of muddled nature of what that means. But that's always been Apocalypse's interest since the start of Excalibur was we as mutants have never had the ability to develop in magic, to to make that a part of our species and society. So I don't know that they're saying mutant magic is different from other magic. But in the same way that mutant technology is a new achievement that we've been able to explore in the Krakoan era, Mm -hmm. mutant magic is similar. That we're able to dive in and to do new things that as a society we've never had the opportunity to because we've been on the run. We've been persecuted and chased. He also continues to go to say that, you know, Wiccan and Jane are humans who use Asgardian magic, which is called that because it's the magic normally associated with our Asgardians, not because of their species. But, you know, it's like a new person tapping into a source of magic. Where does this magic come from? We don't necessarily know, mm-hmm. right? Mariana is tapping into the magic that seems to be associated with Otherworld and or connected to where Morgan gets her magic powers. That, I believe, is a separate source of magic than, like, Doctor Strange and all of the the Sorcerer Supremes. Yeah. That's interesting. I just feel like I don't know enough about the different origins to really comment on it. But I didn't get the sense that mutants are trying to make their own magic, more just trying to make make their mark on magic. Yeah, yeah. Make their grimoire. Mm Mm-hmm. Barusu33 would love to learn more about Genesis and Apocalypse's past and love. And Alicia's like, no. <laughs> no, I, I'm not against it. I just, I want it to be clear what's the past and what's the present. Hmm. And and yeah, at what because in this particular story, I feel we never, we've never been introduced to Genesis pre-annihilation influence. Mm-hmm. And that's where my confusion stems from is where does one end and one begin? where does she like who is this version of genesis that apocalypse seems to be clinging to and same thing for the other way around like why is genesis clinging to this like warrior vicious version of apocalypse when that doesn't seem to be who he is and like even in the way way back when you know their children are being born and that's a long, long time ago and seemingly the beginning of their relationship. In that moment, too, it seemed like Apocalypse was not in the same place strategically and mentally that Genesis is. So, so what version are they hanging on to of each other? So I don't think that that point was the start of their relationship. I feel like that's the point where stuff is dividing. 
that the fact that they have reached this point of peace on Okara, that's where Apocalypse is saying, this is where I want to go. This is where I want to go further. And unbeknownst to him, there is influence starting at that point, the dreams that are being whispered into Genesis's mind that's causing her to go on this divergent path and seek more war, to seek more, to, to disrupt essentially the peace that they have had. Mm-hmm. So they're clinging to the initial relationship that they were able to forge and the society that they were able to build and to be a part of on Okara, the things that happened before, who knows how long, and probably at the beginning of her having these children was when the influence started from Annihilation. Interesting. Uh, Barusu also asked, what do the seeds do, the Okara seeds? And I think that they're just gates that have the strength to be able to travel from one side of the rift to the other. Right. Right. So and it needs to be planted in mutant blood, which is interesting. Right. So the, the gate, because what does Apocalypse say? For mutant blood has always been the cost of mutant power. Yeah, that was an epic line. Yeah. Curls asks, do you think the rest of Okara felt the way Genesis did? Because I'm not so sure. No, I don't think that they did. That's Yeah, right. I think that Apocalypse is a real representation of how the mutant people felt and Genesis is being swayed by this right. other thing. And she is in the power position and able to lead the people unbeknownst to them into this battle that forges them into who they are and now. I also wonder like when the separation happened way back when and Araka was formed like if Genesis is under the influence of annihilation and annihilation can seed into Genesis's dreams then can even though she's the one wearing the helmet at that point like can that influence be somehow trickled into all of the other mutants and that's why they believe that they must be war torn all the time right Right. Yeah. How far does Annihilation's influence go? Or is that just because they follow Genesis and they feel that they need to emulate what she, you know, preaches? Well, and especially from the children's perspective, right? These are likely the generals of this army of this this society. This is all they've ever known. They were just children when this started and they're going to follow their mother, who was also their leader. Right. In what they seem to think that she wants, but it's not actually her desire. Captain Two Michael said that Apocalypse needs to be on our side or we are screwed. And I'd agree because they got a lot of heat coming at them from Genesis and her team. Mm -hmm. So yes, we need Big A to find whoever he's going to recruit and bring them over and be the guy that we want. Yeah, I think he will. That's what he's doing. They're definitely setting that up to be the case. Because 1407 Grey Malkin is also curious to see where Apocalypse goes. You know, do we see his quest or do we just see the result of it as he links back up? I think the second one. Mm. It's just going to be like a drop in of him and whoever he gathers. Yeah. My warriors. Not war tested. Eek. Maybe, maybe not. You we'll don't see. Know. We'll see. That's it. That's all we got. That's the books. That's the questions. That is it. The feelings. What's coming up? Three comics. Another one of our, our in the past minis. Deadly Regenesis number five. Oh, the last issue. The final. Confrontation of Kingpin. Yikes. Interesting tie into his current story in X-Men 2. Yeah. X-Men number 24. 
Ooh. Pog Your Pog. With oh, I've, right. I've also seen uh, a couple of preview pages. There's a lot of things going into this. Three preview pages, each of them different. Ooh. Do you want to know anything? No. Oh, because I'm, I'm super excited. I want to read it right now. <laughs> well, okay. Can you say something without giving it away completely or... What do you mean by three pages completely different? Are we seeing three different villains lined up? Three different... Three different plots. One involves a character that Jerry has written but hasn't written in a little bit. One involving the story of Rogue and Destiny. Okay. And one involving Pog Your Pog on Game World. Is the character that Hasn't been written in a little bit a villain? No. A mutant? Yes. Curious. Curiouser and curiouser. Well, the only reason I'm questioning saying no is because I'm like, are people listening to this right now going, curse you, Alicia, I want Justin to tell me? (laughs) Or are they saying, no, no earmuffs, I don't want to hear. So then I'm like, I don't know what's the right thing. I mean, it's a preview page. It's out there. So it's out there. So I guess... If you don't want to know, earmuffs yourself right now. And if you do, then Justin, tell us who's the character. Babel. Oh, Jiminy Cricket. <laughs> and that's all I'll tell you. Babel. The man yeah. from the future. Who is a baby, but is Cable. Who is Cable, yes. Babel. He, all right. he has a page of his own in the preview pages. We'll see how much else he has. And... Before the Fall, The Sinister Four, number one. Our final Before the Fall one-shot, this one by Kieran Gillen and Lucas Wernock, which will give us backstory and characterization on... And that's... I'm very excited. On The Sinister Four, or on some members of that. Are ready for it. Okay. (laughs) That I want. That feels like that makes sense. We need to know about all of them, because we're going to be... At least Stasis and Mother Righteous are playing larger roles in The Fall. Right. So is Genesis. <laughs> and maybe Apocalypse. Oh, bring her eyes back. They rolled so far. <laughs> okay, that's it. <laughs> uh, until next time, old friend. Charles isn't the one to make you mad today. It's me. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us today on the Ex-Wife Podcast. Be sure to leave us a review and tell your friends. The Ex-Wife Podcast is produced in Providence, Rhode Island by Alicia and Justin. Our music is by Quan. 